Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. So honored that you would worship with us online tonight. So honored that you've been journeying with us through the book of John. So honored that we have the chance to be able to minister to you through the word of God. Before we get started in uh, the book of John again, uh, I want to introduce to you guys a couple. Uh, Their names are Ed and Melinda Pacheco, and they are pastors. Uh, He's a pastor over there at a church called Redemption in Red Hook. So why don't we give it up with our studio audience for them as they come up. Uh, Their church has been going for about two years now. And again, it's Redemption. He has the shirt right on there, a shirt that Ed uh, made. And Ed and Melinda have been ministering, uh, again, in Red Hook, Brooklyn, especially during this COVID crisis. We're just so thankful what they've been doing. And we'd love to hear what God has been doing through them so you can be praying for them. Cool, man. Thank you for the opportunity for uh, allowing us to share what God's been doing. And so uh, through COVID, God has opened the door for us as a church plant to serve our community in a way that we had dreamed of, um, but had no clue what was going to happen through this pandemic. Um, long story short, uh, God opened the door for us to provide food relief to a community that is struggling with poverty, um, fatherlessness, the list goes on and on. And through COVID, God uh, allowed us to kind of respond to a major need. And as a result of it, um, our church, which is about two years old now, um, was able to kind of step in the gap. And we began doing this um, out in April, and we started off with about 50 families coming um, on a weekly basis to get some food that we would pick up from Costco. Some of it was pasta, rice, just the basic uh, necessities. And that kind of grew over time, and we saw God not only provide food and finances for families, we saw God open the doors and the floodgates for us to actually share the gospel, pray for people, lead people to Jesus. Um, and now on a weekly basis, we're ministering to over uh, anywhere between six and 700 families in our community, and we're able to be a blessing. Amen. Um, to other churches throughout New York City. And so something that started off to be something that brought fear to our city and had a lot of uncertainty has turned around to become a major blessing uh, for our church and our people to be um, disciple makers in our community and be an answer to prayer. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys again for what God is doing through you all. Now, Melinda, I know you are the detailed person, right? So I'll hand you this check. Right? So this is a check for $10,000 uh, from God to us, and we are honored to serve you all. All right? Let me, uh, let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you use these resources for your glory? Thank you so much for the faithfulness of this couple. Thank you so much for their resourcefulness during this time. Use them in ways they cannot see. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Well, we are going to continue on, honored to be able to serve with them, and and that we're able to do that because of your faithful giving. So we pray that you all continue to partner with us as we're able to serve Brooklyn. Olada Equiano was a slave uh, hundreds of years ago, and he would end up writing a book called The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Olada Equiano. Olada Equiano wrote this book, and the book itself would 
end up becoming a catalyst to the abolitionist movement in Great Britain. Olana Equiano writes about his own story as a slave, actually coming over from the Igbo tribe over here on a slave ship. Equiano begins to tell of his story. But Equiano, in his book, says something very powerful about when he finally purchased his freedom and he was set free. It says immediately after he purchased his freedom, he made a decision to go back and meet one of his masters in England. He writes in his book, I wanted to surprise my old master, Captain Henry Pascal. And he says, his old master was hourly on his mind. He says, because I still loved him. He says, notwithstanding his usage of me. Equiano purchased his freedom, but he says, I was in love with my master. Equiano was set free, but still wanted to go back to the mastery of old. The Bible talks about how Israel, when Israel was finally free from Egypt, in Numbers chapter 11, it says that they, while, in e while they are free from Egypt, they start getting tired of eating manna and the quail. It says in Numbers 11, oh, that we had meat to eat. Look what it says. Remember the fish we had ate in Egypt. Look, that cost nothing <laughs> while they were slaves. He says the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. They had forgotten that they had a master, but they remembered the menu. Uh, Equiano forgotten all the degradation of slavery, but he still had affection for his master. And in the same way, we think about freedom from actual slavery. It is the picture that God gives us of sin and how God sets us free from sin. He sets us free from the old master of sin, but we still have a longing for that master. We remember the comforts of sin, but we forget the chains. We forget the bondage. And what we can never forget is how sin does a great job of helping you remember its comforts, but it also gives you amnesia to remember its bondage. And so tonight, we are gonna see in John chapter eight how Jesus casts a vision of spiritual freedom, but as he casts this vision of spiritual freedom, he helps us understand that we must remember that there is a coinciding slavery to sin. You cannot understand spiritual freedom until you understand spiritual slavery. Jesus is gonna unpack this in John 8. Remember in John chapter 8, he has just finished speaking about the living water during this festival, the festival of tabernacles. And then he went and he started teaching and he had the woman caught in adultery. And so Jesus is still in the midst of all these people who have uh, been hearing him teach. He's still in the midst of these Pharisees who want him killed. He's still in the midst of these people who want him arrested as well. And so in John chapter eight, verse 31 through 32, it reads this way. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you will abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set 
you free. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, the word abide there, the word abide there, there that, that word may know in the Greek, it essentially means to remain. It means to be present. It's when someone says, welcome to my humble abode. It means I want you to stay here. It is in reference of time. And it means to be persistent and continue and endure. So if you understand what Jesus says, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That is a very important distinction he makes there. Why? Because if you remember the context in John chapter six, we, lest we forget what, he's, what happened in John chapter six, Jesus says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? And people were like, we're not trying to eat you, Jesus, right? Remember that? And so they were distracted by that. And so in John six sixty six, they said, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer wanted to walk with him. Jesus gave them a hard teaching to be able to deal with. Jesus gave them something that they would have to wrestle with, something that would be a tension in their soul. And if you remember, Jesus didn't even clarify. He's like, yep, you gotta eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the disciples leave. Here, between John six and John eight, he clarifies. The disciple is not the one who calls themselves a disciple, but the disciple is the one who's still following the teacher. They still follow. They still remain. They still abide. They continue to persevere. It is very interesting in John chapter eight, where he says, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him. You see, what Jesus understands is that he's got to make a distinction because there will always be a crowd around Jesus. There will be always people who follow Jesus. There will always be people who consider themselves a disciple. So Jesus plops a hard teaching, plops a trial, plops some tension down there with them. And at that point, some people do not continue. If you notice, what it says is that there were people there who believed in him, or believed him who believe Jesus. Church, there is a difference between believing Jesus and believing in Jesus. You see, the reality is um, believing in someone or something constitutes trust. It constitutes belief. It constitutes confidence. You can believe I can drive, but that doesn't believe you, mean you believe in my driving. If you really believe in my driving, you'll get in the car with me and you'll let me move you around. There is a stark contrast between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. And Jesus realizes this, and so he creates the tension. Jesus creates the tension in his teaching. The reason why he does this is because you and I, we naturally operate out of following not Jesus, but following ourselves. Doing what you want, doing what I want, doing what we feels best. We have another religion always operating within us. I am and have been for 43 years a dedicated follower of James, Jamesism. And I love what James has to say, and I love what James thinks. And, I, and that is my religion. And I have to transfer my trust from following me, my own self, and following Jesus. And Jesus, this is a constant devotion that we must have to Christ to break the yoke of sin. We must be able to follow after Jesus and continue to follow when it gets hard. Continue to follow because it is at this point that I don't want to do right. 
And if we don't understand our desire to do our own thing, to abide in our real religion, our real religion of self, you'll never understand the true bondage that can happen with sin. And so he says in John 8, 34, Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now notice what he says, everyone. He's not talking about disciples. He's not talking about pastors. He's not talking about leaders. He's not talking about apostles. He's saying any and everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And what he is saying there is that the Greek word there essentially means to do sin, to continue in sin. So when you look what Jesus says in John 8 early, he says, you're my disciple when you continue following. But he says, anybody, anybody, everyone, you can still be my disciple and yet practice sin and have sin, have some bondage over you. The reality is sin, every sin that we commit, its destination is bondage. Every sin has mastery to it. Every sin that we have, have chains alongside of it. And we feel this tension of doing what I want, doing what I feel I should do, having to break that yoke with inside of us. James chapter one, verses 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire when it is conceived uh, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, gives forth the death. Essentially, that picture of death is that cutting off, that separation. And so all sin's desire is to start to move you away from God and to live for self and essentially live apart from God. But notice how it says it starts with desire. Sin has this gradual descent. It's small concessions. It's temporary pleasure, but long-term bondage. And it's because it feels good to us. And that feeling, that desire that we have of doing what we want, when we want, how we want. Generally, the way that we can remain in sin is through quietness. It's through having a life submerged, having a life unseen. Or you just put yourself in an environment that condones it. You put yourself around people that celebrate it. And so it's through these small casual steps of indifference, of spiritual casualness, of it's just a little thing, of it's nobody will know, or it's just I got to do it. All these little small steps create an environment of darkness and quietness. We all have underwater sins. If you would think of the imagery of an iceberg where you have this, it looks like a snow-capped mountain, but on actually there's an entire world underneath. What was actually looks like a mountain is actually an iceberg with this, all this other stuff underneath it. And the reality is that we too have this world underneath that no one sees. We have a world underneath that if we do not bring to the surface, we will live in quiet bondage. We will live in quiet and secret destruction. And even though you come to church and even though you are presenting yourself to God and you seem like you have this faithfulness to God underwater, there's a whole other religion of self that is submitting itself to sin consistently, quietly, bondage, slavery. The chains have become comfortable to you. 
The chains are comfortable to you because they, they tell you you're somebody and they make you feel energized. This is the reality of sin. This is the reality of the tension that we have. Galatians says if we walk in the spirit, we will not do what we want. What does that mean? What we want has nothing to do with God. What we want is to live our own way. And the more and more the believer positions himself to do what you want and never puts yourself in a position of correctiveness. You may sing to the rooftops for your love of God, but underneath the water, the chains, the chains are rattling. And they're keeping you from being the person God has called you to be. Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so the scripture that helps gives some illumination to this is what the Bible says in the book of James. James chapter five, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Well, I know the King James people are like, availeth much. That's what it's really talking about, right? But what it's saying is essentially that here in this text, if you look at proportionality of this text right here, the first part talks about telling somebody you're sinning. The rest of the text talks about prayer. And one of the power, one of the problems when we talk about being free, being free from sin, is you must first expose sin. You must bring from underneath the water what's happening down below and you must present it to someone else. Confess your sins one to another. But the Bible doesn't say that the only goal is confession. The goal is, It's corporate prayer. The goal is to get somebody to pray alongside of you so that you can live in the freedom God has purchased for you. That's the goal. The problem of accountability. The problem of accountability and accountability partners is oftentimes it ends in sympathy. But sympathy won't heal you. You see, the problem is is that if I tell my friend or if I tell my homegirl, I tell my homeboy, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with porn or I'm struggling with stuff at work or I find myself always falling for the same people. And, and you tell them these things and they're like, I feel what you're saying. I know what you're talking about. All you got was sympathy, but that didn't break the yoke. Sympathy doesn't break the yoke. Imagine this. Imagine if I broke my arm. I'm outside my crib and I break my arm. And I run inside to my wife. I'm like, I broke my arm. And my wife goes, I broke my arm once too. I'm like, but but it's broken. She'd be like, dag, I remember when mine was hanging down. But I'm saying no, I think it's gonna fall off. I know, no, 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 I know God won't let it fall off. Take me to the doctor. Take me to where I can get healed. I don't need sympathy right now. I need someone who is higher than you, more elevated than you, more educated than you. I need power to transform, not your good luck, not your good wishes, not your good insight. I don't need sympathy. I need healing. And the problem of accountability is that we've got rooms full of sympathy and no transformation because we're not letting the doctor in the room. Bring me to the doctor. Take them to the doctor. Bring them to the doctor so that they can be healed. Bring them to the doctor. Bring yourself to the doctor, you're sick. Sin is a sickness. 
Sin is a sickness. And the only way that you will break the yoke of sin is through exposure and prayer. You see how that works? Because I know you've been praying about it. I know you've been praying about it. I know you're tired of it. I know, and, and, and for the amount of people that come in my office and talk about pornography, man, I know many of you, men and women, you're tired of it. It's wearing on you. The problem is you're only telling me. And you need to be able to not hold on to it anymore, but tell the story. Tell someone and then have them pray with you. And I'm not saying you're gonna be set free that night. I'm not telling you that you'll be set free the next day. But here's what I know. John 8, 36, watch this. It says, so if the what? If the sun sets you free. The one thing I know is you can't set yourself free. The sun sets you free. The sun sets you free. The only freedom you will, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if you'll struggle this, the rest of this year. I don't know if you'll struggle to the grave. I don't know when it will end, but I know how to get freedom. And freedom is in a who, it's Jesus. It's the sun that sets you free. It's the sun that sets free. The sun will set you free. You have to understand freedom is not found in yourself. It's not found in advice. It's not found in a new conference nor a new book. It's the sun that sets you free. And so when you come along in prayer and you tell somebody, you break the yoke of pride, you break the yoke of the quiet religion of self, and you destroy that yoke, and you're able to operate in the humility, the humility and the honor. You, you humble yourself by telling other people, but you honor God when you bring prayer into it. And you change. You change. And can I just say this? And I, know, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is, a, even if you don't stop the thing that you're doing, that doesn't mean you're not changing. Oh man, I, this, that's too deep. E even though you may still have some habits, you still could become more humble. You still can have character change. Sometimes you'll have habits that you still have, but you're still increasing in holiness. I know that's too deep. I know that's too deep. You can still be increasing in holiness, even though you still got a habit that you're trying to shake because God is bigger. Listen, he's bigger. He's bigger than that habit. He loves you beyond that habit. He still wants you to fight it. He still wants you to fight it till you're dying day. But when you confess, you become more humble. When you bring in prayer, you honor God. It's the sun that sets free. And what do we learn? We learned this. We talked about this last week. Last week, we, we talked about the fact that freedom in American culture is you doing what you want. And you already know that don't work. Because it without Christian teaching, you already know there's doing what you want and doing what you ought. And that, that doesn't have to be Jesus teaching. That could be what your mama told you, what your friends told you. You know already inside of you there's doing what you want and doing what you ought. And freedom by what the Bible says is not doing what you want, but doing what God wants for you. And he empowers you to live that life of freedom. This is where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. It is the spirit of God. It is the spirit of God that changes you. It is the presence of God. His presence over time changes you and transforms you and allows you to live this life of freedom. Jesus says, it is the sun sets, 
who sets you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You'll experience actual freedom. I want to take us in a direction here because I know so many of you are struggling with different areas. And I use porn just because I realized when I was coming up, porn was something, man, that, you know, like you had to go into 7-Eleven and you like had to ask for a magazine. You had to be like, yeah, I'd like that, you know, craziness right there. And like, you'd be judged, you know what I'm saying? Or like the videos, you'd walk into like a video store and like there was a whole room dedicated. It's it like, like triple X and people came out of there like looking like this, like, what's up, dog? And you were just like, oh my gosh, like these people are crazy. Like you judge those people. If they went back to that room, you judge them. You know what I'm saying? If you went behind the counter and you got that magazine, you judge them. But now there's no room. There's no counter. There's just your phone. It's just you in your room. And there's so much shame. There's so much guilt. There's so much that people are holding on to. And, and I, I've been asked like, pastor, how, how did you get free? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm free from porn. I'm not free from lust, amen? Hallelujah. Like I'm never, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's an elevated place that Christ can bring me to. I'm not there yet though. Like I still, I, I'm, I'm, when I talk about freedom, I'm not talking about freedom to do things. I'm talking about freedom to experience someone. The power of experiencing Christ, but not just to do whatever I want. There's things I can never do. I can never just look at certain people. I can just never do that. I have to cut things off in my life. And the reality of what, what I don't think we teach enough. All right, this, the son sets you free so that you can become his slave. See, and that's, 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 that's what we're missing. Can I just, I just, I just need to... <laughs> I don't, have, I don't have an audience, so I'm like, can I talk about this thing? No, we don't, we, don't, we don't talk about this enough. The son sets you free, not so that you can be free, but that you can be his slave. Romans chapter six, watch this. Oh, now, now, you, now, now we're preaching. Now, John, John, Romans six, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, watch this, have become slaves of righteousness. There are people who have entire have this deliverance mindset. Now, I'm not talking about deliverance ministries. I'm talking about just this concept of deliverance. And I think that we have a false concept of deliverance in the culture, but more importantly, in church culture. You see, deliverance can't be, I need to stop doing something. And that, that's part of the problem when people say they just want to be delivered. They want deliverance without discipleship. If you get delivered but not discipled, you had a momentary emotional moment, but you're not changing in the long run. Deliverance must be met with discipleship. But why does deliverance must have discipleship? Because we need both. 
Why? Because we need people to pray over us, but we need people to walk with us because we still have a hunger for the chains. We, we still want that old master. So we don't need moments. We need a new master. We need somebody, we need to be led. Let me put it this way. What does deliverance really mean? They, just, y'all, just think about this. I just moved uh, in my apartment. I just moved, right? This happened yesterday. This literally happened yesterday. We are waiting for our couch, a whole couch. We're waiting for it. Amazon, we decided to use Amazon. Don't ask me why. Amazon, right? We hit up Amazon. We're like, yo, Amazon, where's our couch? This is what they said. They said, we delivered it from our warehouse. I said, so? They said, well, it's delivered. I said, no, 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 no. It's not delivered till it gets to my destination. Deliverance is not about just going from someplace. It's going to someplace. It's not delivered because it left. It's delivered because it's home. See, so this is the problem. The Israelites were set free from Egypt, but they didn't go all the way to the promised land. They got caught in Israel. I mean, they got caught in the wilderness walking around because they didn't go to their intended destination. You have to understand the intended destination of all deliverance is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal. Righteousness is the goal. Not stopping something, starting something. There's, I mean, praise God we are seeing broken yokes, but, what is, but, but every time you break a yoke of sin, you put on the new yoke of the master who leads you in your life. Let, let me just end this message this way. If you're watching porn, if you're watching porn, and let's say your wife is next door, right next door, and you're watching porn, and one day you, through prayer and all this other stuff, you just, you just God delivers you. You're like, I'm delivered from porn. But if you stop watching porn, but now you're watching Netflix and you're reading comic books and you're doing whatever you do, but you never start loving your wife and serving your wife, you might have stopped a sin, but you didn't start in righteousness. The goal is to love. The goal is to serve. And part of the problem is people are really just doing behavior modification. They're stopping something, but they're not starting righteousness. The problem is you're still in the wilderness of self-centeredness. You still are about yourself. You still got a nasty attitude. You still are a selfish person. The goal is not to stop sinning. It's to start living righteously and unto God. And it is at that point that God can use you in such a way that it blows people's minds. You have to understand that Ladu Equiano, once he got free, he went back to that old master and he realized, even though I love this guy, he's still a master. And Equiano would become an abolitionist because once you get set free from your old master and you get tired of him, you start to want to set others free. The goal is not just your freedom but it is that we will be an abolitionist for righteousness, that we would see all people be free. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, God, we pray right now that your presence would be with us. God, would you just continue to create a life of freedom 
Would we walk in your spirit so that we do not do what we want. We would live how you have called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.